Tervist! Minu nimi on Aleksander Eeri Laupmaa ja vaatate fotograafiska jutusid. Kuna minu tänane külaline on välismaalane, siis pöördun kohe üle ingliskeele peale. So, welcome, Sarah Cooper. Nice to see you here. Thank you. You and Nina Gorfer have a new exhibition out at Fotografiska Tallinn called Utopia. And it has a longer name as well. Maybe you want to say... The full title. The full title of the series and also... Maybe a short introduction to what it is. Yeah, uh, it's called Between These Folded Walls, Utopia. And it's a project we finished in 2020. It took us about three years to complete it. And it's stemming from the migrant crisis. And it stars uh, young women whose lives have been touched in some way or another by forced migration. And we recorded their stories. Um, and their histories and times of sort of hardship and limbo. And it's also a project that deals with this idea of, are we living in a loss of utopia? Um, is this sort of, is this the world we are living in? So a lot of the project back to sort of the interviews and the stories is putting forward this idea of if we need to dream again, if this utopia that we've built is not sustainable, then how can we imagine a better future? And who should have the power to imagine that and who can control that? And that's when we put it into these young women's hands. So metaphorically speaking, that's how we address this. And I mean, as you'll see with the exhibition, you become entombed in this labyrinth world, this world that where things are sort of not, it's, it's not real, it's a more aspirational version of ourselves. They are real, we are real, the stories are real, but the way in which it's presented is um, left to be reassembled and to be reimagined. And how did you arrive at the word utopia? Mm. It, um, it began, I mean, utopia is like, I mean, it's like the muse of architects and artists. I mean, it's something that maybe you, you is synonymous with like sci-fi films or uh, or the book from you know the the book from the 16 or was it 1500s um so it, it actually started um and this is a little bit how we start our projects um nina had read an article in deep sight and it was about this are we living in a loss of utopia and um before we go into projects we we often give ourselves a kind of incubation period of being inspired and then we meet and we kind of throw into the mix what's inspiring us right now and how can we make a project out of it. So it, our project began with this discussion of, of what does that mean if we're living in a loss of utopia and then whose utopia have we lost and maybe that's a good thing. Um, and then it became this like search for what is utopia and how have we defined it and if we maybe take it more from a Western perspective, it's, it's been something that has been constructed, it's been built, and often um, people's definition of a utopia is often in conflict with another. Um, so my utopia might be sort of the opposite of your utopia and therefore threatens your utopia, and therefore utopia can't exist. So another way that we started to think about it was maybe more from an Eastern perspective, which is more that it's actually inside of us. It's not out there. It can't even be constructed. It doesn't exist, actually. 
Um, because if you look at the word utopia, where it comes from uh, in, in Latin, it means uh, no place. It's nowhere. And if it's nowhere, where is it? It's inside. And so it's basically a little bit stemming from you know, this idea of if we work on our inner utopia, then we have the possibility of achieving it. So it's sort of like work on yourself first and your problems inside, and then we can maybe start to agree. Because I think you won't, you won't be able to be a person of action or a person of the future if you're not, how do you say, if there isn't peace within yourself. And also this idea that you need to have conflicting views if we're going to have and achieve a better world. So that's also where the protagonist came in when we were trying to figure out who can star in this project of ours. You know, the migration crisis was still in full swing, full swing and still is in full swing, actually. Uh, and now with the crisis mm -hmm. today also, with another wave, in a, but in a different, in Europe now, really in Europe. Um, and I think uh, I felt like I was living in a bubble, personally. And I felt that we need if we're going to look for someone to answer this question, maybe we should look at the people who are facing a situation of forced change that have to start over to begin again. If you have to leave everything behind and begin again, who would you be? How would you choose to relive your life? And so we thought young women for, you know, I, I'm a female artist and I think for me that's something um, myself and Nina are very attracted to. Also, a lot of these women have maybe come from places where their views have been marginalized. So um, here's an opportunity to take back the power. Uh, and then, you know, our, 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 you know, this all sounds very logical the way I'm telling it to you. I have to say when we're working on the project, half the time we don't really know what it means until we know what it means. So we have all these building blocks and we're sort of slowly putting it together, but it's very, it's a gut feeling. We go on instinct, and that's how it kind of unfolded itself. Beautiful. And yeah. throughout the journey, so you said it's from 2017 to 2020, about mm -hmm. was the time period you yeah. did you come to like a conclusion about the question that you first had, or did you like find out something that you weren't at first sure you were going to arrive at? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I noticed maybe, um, I actually noticed that uh, the project had a lot to do with myself and with Nina. I think that, um, that even this idea of searching for utopia, when we would talk to the women, the young women about it, a lot of the first response was, what is, what's utopia? <laughs> you know, so obviously it was like a need from, and then I, we would define what we mean by it, and then, ah, okay, um, a place of uh, solitude. You know, then, you, then you started to look at, like, what is, what is it that we're actually looking for? And I realized that um, the project, as much as it is about these women, and I think um, I can come back to that uh, with what, they, what their views are, but it also was maybe a personal search, something that I needed to go through at that time in my life, because I'm growing with every project that we do, and I think all the topics we choose them. So I think they're like a, maybe like a a dictionary for myself to navigate in this world and to understand who I am. So I think um, 
yeah, it's funny how it's it's both a portrait of them and it's a portrait of maybe myself and yeah, well, trying I to guess figure with, things out. With every artist, like yeah. even if you tackle a subject that mm -hmm. seems very far away from you, the way in which you tackle it yeah. is the, your, your part mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. uh, about your own like heritage, you mm -hmm. said you have moved a lot and you've grown up in different places mm -hmm. and now you live in Sweden, even mm -hmm. though you're American who was born in Germany. Mm -hmm. So do, do you know much about your heritage and where your roots come from? Um, I have a, I know that in, in my family, you always have kind of the, the person who knows the family history. And that was my grandmother on my mother's side. And with her heritage, her it goes back to like um, pre-Civil War in the United States. So that side of my family is extremely American. Um, I was born in Germany, but um, they just, my parents just happened to be there. So I was just, you know, passing through, you could say. Um, but on that side of my family, there's a lot of these stories from kind of the Civil War, uh, my great-great-grandfather being a scout, and then getting lost in the frontier, all these like weird myths and legends around this person who maybe was a good person, maybe not a good person. Um, but I think back to sort of these kind of stories from my family, they were very theatrical, large landscapes, almost these like saga, family saga-like tales coming out of her, which, um, as a child were very visual for me. The stories, I would always kind of imagine them. And, um, but I also noticed, uh, she also had photographs of this, of that time. And I often felt that the photographs fell short of how I imagined mm. it. And back to our work, that is a little bit of the seed of why we work the way we work. And, um, cause I think that I've noticed that a lot of times the, the the histories that we have recorded sometimes fall short of what I actually feel the histories are or feel like. A little bit like photographing a sunset, it's, it never looks as beautiful as the experience. And I think that kind of, I don't know, um, life is much more vivid in pictures. And even though I work with pictures, and I think it's our work has been this eternal struggle of how to to create more works that immerse you in imagination? Uh, the first thing that I noticed when I looked at your works was that they remind me of like pre-Renaissance mm. uh, church uh, paintings mm. uh, because they don't have like the dimensionality that they have mm -hmm. isn't like Renaissance style dimensionality. It's mm -hmm. like this everything is layered on top mm -hmm. of everything else. Mm -hmm. Like how did you arrive at that? Was, was there a, like a, a wish to do that or was that something that also just happened while you were working? Mm. I mean, we've been working for, um, I think like 16 years now. And um, our style comes out of painting um, more than photography. Um, also what I said about this thing of the dilemma of the image. Um, I think for us, we like the iconography of painting and the symbolism. And like, if you think of Persian miniatures, you know, it's, um, there's so many stories within it. Um, so I think uh, in that way, our, our, we always have looked that way at, our, at the way we handle the photographic collages. Um, also, I think I quite like the iconography of the classics um, with the gestures and, and um, with this project also, um, 
you know, these are women um, who have Syrian heritage, who are from Somalia, who are from Eritrea, but yet they're in, yet they're sort of coded in this new persona that is from, from my heritage. And I think that we quite liked playing specifically um, with them this idea of how, this idea of assimilation, when do you like someone and when do you not? When you like, if they suddenly look like you or behave like you or suddenly have the symbols that you value. And so I think for us, we wanted to combine um, this idea of, of, of being a hybrid with one foot in one place of, of a country you come from and then one foot in another place where you come from or where you now belong. And so I think that is um, also explaining maybe the look and feel of our images that you recognize them from maybe the halls of our own history here in the West or in Europe or in the US for that matter. But yet, um, you know, some of these women have a completely different heritage or history uh, that is equally as vibrant, but just different. What did you learn from the girls? Um, I, I know, I learned a lot, actually. Um, I think one was the interesting um, phenomenon of youth and how clever and timeless it is that, um, I mean, I do believe in wisdom with age, but there is something quite beautiful with the innocence of, of youth that, that, that yet some of these women had gone through incredible difficulties or triumphs, but there is a sense of urgency to, to wanting to, of innocence and a belief in change. Because I think with time, you can also create bitterness and the inability to change. Whereas these women are able to change and know that change, and they know, and they know the value of what to hold close and what to keep and what to let go. Um, one of the women in the project um, uh, who I, I don't know, all of them I hold very dear and I mean, very, I mean, some became very good friends, actually. Um, but one of the women, she talked about this idea of struggle. And because with her, you know, doing the whole um, trip from Iran as an Afghani refugee, it took her a year to get to, in the end, Sweden, with all of the struggle to get there. Um, and she talked about having to have extreme power and to kind of manipulate her way to get what she wanted. And when she finally didn't have to fight anymore, she had this kind of crisis or loss of identity because all that she knew was to fight. But then she realized that there's another definition of strength and strength is also to know when to ask for help or to know, I can't handle this. I'm gonna need help. I'm gonna need to be vulnerable now because before to be vulnerable was like, her, would be her destruction. And that switch of understanding what the definition of power, and I think for myself, I often don't ask for help when I should. I think I can handle everything, and you can't. And I think we're no one's, you know, no one's an island. Yeah. This is also a very Western way of thinking. Like mm. I can handle everything. Yeah. I have to like be, yeah. be my own person. This like extreme individuality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there a story of any of the girls that you found very hard to believe? 
like, and I don't mean like that they were lying, but just the extremes of uh, of human life that people, mm -hmm. the suffering that people go through, or something that you were just like, wow, is that is that really what somebody had to go through? I think the the, the woman I just described. Um, I think you know she, she. Of course, there's many things she didn't tell me, and I think that's 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 you know I totally understandable. But I think to sit there with such a young person and just falling apart in front. I mean, just, you know, this is a three-year project. So I remember how some of the women were in the beginning. And then, so I remember the first time I met this person and um, I was crying afterwards. I was like really, I, I didn't know if I could handle the project. And also I was afraid of, I, afraid of also, um, you know, I need to be careful also how I, how I need to take care of them. The, so that, um, so I had to, I had to speak to, you know, a psychologist and, and to understand also the, the unleashing trauma, you know, because I think it's so easy to fall into the gossip of these lives. And, um, but I think, you know, you also, I had to also understand how to handle it with care, these stories that were given to me, um, or to us. And, um, I don't know. It's upsetting that anyone should have to go through that. And, um, but at the same time, I mean, she also inspired me very much. There is a quote by Arthur Miller, who's a very mm -hmm. famous American yeah. playwright. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you've uh, heard it, but it's one of my favorites. And I think it's very apropos to what is happening in the world right now. You tell me what you think about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, an era can be considered over once all its basic illusions have been exhausted. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is uh, the reason why I'm reading it right now is because when I was uh, like looking at the exhibition and I, when I was reading the stories uh, of the girls in the books, um, this was something that uh, came to mind because I've heard this quote years and years and years ago and uh, it really, it relate somehow to the concept of utopia and like, have we lost it? Mm -hmm. And um, like, do you have any, any thoughts with that quote right now? Mm. There's also this concept of end of, what is it? The end of history? Yes. This, uh, Fuki, Fukuyama. Uh, somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. I have it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's where it, that popped to mind. You have that, uh, that quote in the book. Exactly. And that's why that yeah. popped into my mind. Exactly. Um, Oh, it's really interesting because I, uh, this idea, yeah, because I think um, it's a little bit like what's going on now, I guess. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, where I think we've all thought that we were in this safe place and we thought that democracy solved it all or whatever our belief systems are. And, um, and then suddenly here we are back having the same discussion and the same struggles and the same misunderstanding, just a huge misunderstanding, I would say. Mis this is like a, it's almost like a communication problem, mm -hmm. I would say, almost. You know, and, and you can mask it in religion and you can mask it, mask it in politics, but I think we just have a, a lack of communication and empathy. Our delivery of information is just so off. And we're constantly... Um, and we're constantly um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a stage of revenge, of harming each other. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, we know how that ends. But um, I guess back to this, I like this idea of, uh, of illusions, like, because um, I think our illusions are what protect us. You know, it's what, um, it's what can protect um, a child in a moment of war, of everything's fine, you know, of, of, like, of creating a safe place so that we can go on. Because without our illusions uh, or, our, our, or what we want to believe in, things can get pretty raw. But also without our, our sense of imagination, then we'll never be able to maybe achieve something else. Because I think also maybe through striving, things that are maybe impossible, um, sometimes we do make that happen. So I think, yeah, when, when things have collapsed is when all possibility to imagine something spectacular or something impossible or something of a fantasy level, then I think, yeah, things, have, things are just destroyed. Yeah, uh, I have I so many different yeah. uh, like thought idea, uh, ideas in my head right now. One thing is that, like he said it, I don't know how many decades ago. Mm-hmm. I think he died in 2005, so it must have been, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years mm-hmm. ago, whatever. But um, throughout our lifetimes, people have lost faith in basically everything that uh, the Western world has held has it as its like highest uh, values. Mm-hmm. The church was the first one to go, right? With all the scandals with the Catholics and yeah. so on. Uh, then uh, people lost faith in the education system, then the medical system. Uh, now people have lost, uh, a lot of people have lost faith in science, like everything that has held up our society those illusions, again, mm-hmm. no matter how beautiful, no matter how helpful at some points, they get exhausted, like they've, people find their weak spots and over time they like degrade. And then when everything is lost, then you have mm-hmm. a time like, just like we have right now, mm-hmm. when like, even though like the world isn't ending per se, mm-hmm. but everybody can feel over the past two years that something has ended Mm-hmm. And something new hasn't even begun yet. Like we're living in this completely like this uh, liminal uh, space, basically, where uh, we're not quite sure what mm. is happening. And and the second thought that popped into my head while you were talking was that uh, the same story that you told me before about uh, the girl from Iran or from Afghanistan who mm. had been living as a refugee in Iran, mm-hmm. uh, when she didn't have to fight anymore, mm-hmm. She got into a depression. Yeah. She didn't know who she was because her illusion that yeah. had kept her alive yeah. was that you have to fight, you have to just keep on pushing. But once that illusion mm-hmm. was exhausted and she didn't need it anymore, mm-hmm. she had to go through a collapse and yeah. she had to like end in a way yeah. to start anew. And I feel this is something that the entire world right now is going yeah. through, but you yeah. can see it in the personal, but, and you That's can also beautiful. see it in... Like a microcosm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's something to learn from her. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, soldiers talk about this PTSD when there, there's a sense of camaraderie in battle or something, or, you know, and then when it ends, they don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah, that is also very interesting that yeah. with soldiers and with many people, there have been many studies done, people who go through really tough hardships, mm-hmm. whether it's war, natural catastrophes, yeah. they oftentimes remember this time mm-hmm. as the best time of their lives yeah. because they had meaning mm-hmm. and they had, they had to help somebody. And this it gives to our lives so much when we feel like we're, uh, we're necessary for somebody and we have a purpose. 
That is something really interesting also. Um, I think it's Rebecca Soldnit has written a book about this, about utopia, I forgot about, about utopia, that uh, utopia does exist, but it only exists, it's temporary, and it often exists in time, and it's often synonymous with horror, that, um, mm. that utopia exists in, that we, we act extraordinary in times of, of a collapse. Mm -hmm. So like, um, I don't know, uh, in times of, uh, you know, destruction, suddenly neighbors, communities, people will help in ways that they would never have imagined. And often people describe it as some of the most horrible times of their lives, but the time of purpose where humanity actually stands up and does amazing things. Because I is, think we often don't think about that. Yeah, side. and this is what happened in New York City yeah. during 9-11, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, what's happening basically in, in Estonia right now is with, like we've had such an amazing amount of people giving amazing support mm -hmm. to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is like, again, the same thing that tragedy brings out the best in people. Yeah. And actually you can't even find out what you're capable of or how good a human being you can be if you're not put in a situation where that can come uh, come forth. And so there is this very strange, yeah. like this ironic contrast, this ironic balance of like, you need that horror to see the good. Doesn't that suck? Yeah, I mean, it would be so nice to, if we could achieve that without having to do that to ourselves. Yeah, but then we probably wouldn't be able to value it, right? <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a solution to that. Well, right. I mean, isn't that you, terrible that that's the only time when we act? Do you think there is a solution? There must be. Do you have any like thoughts what it could be? Because you know what? The, it's inside. <laughs> well, I completely agree with that. Many people have said that. I, I completely agree. But, but still what we try, even I if know. you think it's inside, yeah. we still try to go to other people and force them to also think that it's yeah, inside, right? Exactly. That so becomes we, a religion. Yeah. Also. So we still keep on doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. the thing you said before about yeah. communication, I also yeah. very much agree with that because mm -hmm. one of the uh, metaphors I've been using for the past few years mm -hmm. is uh, the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because with the Tower of Babel, the whole story, like because I only remember it, like I've never read the Bible, yeah. but I remember the children's Bible from when I was a child. Yeah. And we didn't live in a religious family, but we had it and everybody mm -hmm. had it. And I, so I remember reading stories from there when I was like six, seven, eight or something mm -hmm. like that. And I always remembered this passage where it was like all the people of the world came together mm -hmm. to build a tower that would reach the heaven. Yeah. And God didn't like that. And so he confused people's languages. Yeah. And this is everything that I remembered. Yeah. And now during the past few years, mm -hmm. And with all the like the division that has happened in the society, uh, in the West especially, mm -hmm. I thought like, wow, this is exactly what this was describing. Because everybody speaks English, mm -hmm. everybody can communicate, and everybody thought when the internet first arose that, wow, now we have such an easy way of communicating. Everybody can uh, have the truth in their palm of their hands, like within seconds. Mm -hmm. We can all talk to each other. This is going to be amazing. Finally, there is no more confusion. We all speak the same language. It's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. And we're more divided than ever. Yeah, isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly. Yeah, if you want to, if you, yeah, that's the ultimate weapon. Scramble, the, scramble our ability to communicate with each other. And uh, yeah, 
and create monsters. Yeah. And even though it's the same language that we speak, yeah. like you have neighbors who will, will not talk to each other, the families will not talk to each other. And it's like, you can hate so many people because like you. And also yeah. now with cancel culture, I mean, if this is, this is like a softer <laughs> discussion, but, uh, but also this idea that, um, you know, the only ones who have the right to write, to be the author of, of anything have to be of the same race or the same whatever, mm -hmm. gender, religion. I mean, I think the premise of giving voice to maybe minority culture or, you know, it's, it's wonderful, but I think this idea of, of, of the echo chamber of, 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 of us only writing about ourselves or only being able to speak about ourselves is uh, also very dangerous. Oh, yeah. And mm. because most of the way how, like, the positive side of globalism has been that people move to other countries, they make other people's food, mm. they dress in other people's clothes, and this is how cultures communicate with mm. each other. And you get to learn uh, about the other people and you see them as humans as well. Mm -hmm. And you don't keep everything separated. Mm. But right now, what, like, within the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, We've seen such like uh, everything atomizes again and you have like tighter and tighter like small clusters mm -hmm. that are not supposed to talk to each other mm -hmm. and it's like the tensions just keep on growing and growing and growing and growing mm -hmm. and it's also it's like I, i'm not completely sure what the undercurrent of that is like what is what is happening in the world that is bringing all of this about Do mm -hmm. you, is that something that you've given some thought to mm. yeah i mean um yeah, I mean, definitely. You all, you think about like where is where does the origin to this lie? Uh, I mean, and it's something that's obviously affected us since the beginning of time. I mean, I feel like every every um, century has we we it's been sort of like a loop of this. Uh, so it is something human, you know. It is we are innately fallible, and we have a tendency like the dog. You know, if you leave the food, they will eat everything. I think we have. We have mm -hmm. that quality to <laughs> yeah. us. So, but it, but it also is within us to just say no. You know, I think it's also just a, a choice that we need to make. We have to choose to be better. Um, and the definition of better, you know, that's also debatable. Mm -hmm. I mean, my better is maybe not your better, and then we're going to fight about that. So, um, but, uh, but we need to try. Um, and also maybe, I mean, with our project, I'm going to be a bit feminist here, but maybe we need to give the magic wand into the hands of, of, of other types of power structures. You know, um, I mean, young, you know, we, for us, it's about women, you know, maybe, uh, or thinking about uh, someone else who can lead, not the people that we've always thought could lead. It doesn't just always have to be a patriarchal world or, you know, and, uh, and I don't want to demean men in any way, but I think that we just, maybe we need to just shift our, our angle and, uh, or at least have shared views. One of the things that uh, really came out with all the stories about, uh, about the girls that you portray uh, was that they all had to make big sacrifices mm -hmm. to be able to change their lives in a meaningful way. Um, What's the biggest sacrifice you've had to make in your life? Hmm. Gosh, yeah. Now we're talking about comparison. I'm like, in comparison to these young women, I feel like my sacrifices are nothing. Uh, but then that's the rule. You should never compare. You know, my trauma is my trauma and your trauma is your trauma. And, in my, and you will feel it equally as, 
as, uh, as deep. What have been my sacrifices? I mean, I feel, I feel sometimes, you know, I have my dreams and my goals, uh, maybe professionally from a career perspective. Um, but sometimes I think, you know, like I haven't been able to have children. I didn't think that would happen to me. Um, and it's not that I chose to sacrifice that, but it just became part of who I am. And I think, what am I going to do with that? Well, I think a part of this project about of me connecting to youth has been sort of repairing that, at least for me. Um, and I think, you know, who to love, who not to love, you know, I think the choices you make of, um, hmm, I'm going to have to think about this more. But maybe in my life when I've made choices that have been difficult, uh, they have led me well. But I think it's maybe also listening to where your choices are made from. Are they, you know, in your, in your gut? Are they here? Are they here? I, I think uh, anxiety choices have, have never, left, never led me to a good place. Because I think you need to stand for your choices, and the only way you can is if you had, if you know, that it's just part of your life, part of your being. If Nina was here, what would you say your biggest weakness is? My weakness, I think my weakness is my strength. I'm impulsive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a good answer. Mm. What uh, What do you think? Like the main, like you touched upon this beforehand a little bit, but what do you think the main wound of our societies right now that needs healing because we did the same thing that we were talking about before like everything that's that's been happening over the past decade with that like with the migration crisis with all the different wars that weren't in europe that, but that were everywhere else i feel like western people still had this way of basically not paying attention to those things mm -hmm. because we didn't feel personally touched and so yeah. we could like avoid them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And everything that we've been avoiding has just come closer to us, closer to us, closer to us. And now for the past few years and especially for the past few months, everybody's like, okay, now we just can't avoid this anymore either. And there are probably like 10 more things that we've been avoiding that are gonna show up uh, at some point. And, uh, and my, my question is, and I know it's a big question, mm. like, do you know what like the core, core trauma or core wound is that is making all of this happen? Like what haven't we paid attention to enough? What have we avoided that now we have to pay the price in this way? Mm. It's a good question. Hmm. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go through like a train of thought, I guess. Yeah, yeah um, please do. Uh, may I? I could see maybe there's a metaphor in in the technology argument that you had talked about that that um I think you know our phones our tablets um this this immersive the metaverse you know now that's being created that I'm not so sure about um that we've been attracted to this um kind of virtual place uh, a kind of utopia where everything's available and um, we don't spend so much time in the real world. Um, and I think, you know, everyone's experiencing this war through, through um, a video, you know, through, 
like, and I think, I think the Vietnam War was one of the first wars we actually experienced on, or at least from an American, I'm going to talk American standpoint here, was one of the first wars that we experienced uh, through like the camera and, um, and all the films that have resulted from it. And I think that we are experiencing too much of our world through a lens. And I'm here I am uh, working with photography. I'm kind of like uh, massacring our own artwork. But, but uh, maybe, um, and we're also used to the violence, you know, the, we're you, I, I feel like um, um, this, the dismemberment of our, that the, the, of ourselves, I feel like um, I've we've become numb to that image. Also because we feel that maybe we need to see that image over and over again, the destruction, and that's, that will make us change if we see the carcass of, of, uh, you know, of, of destroyed cities, destroyed lives. That will make us change, and it's not making us change. It's poetry that will make us change. It's, um, I think we need to, I don't know, some, some kind of a, of a cocktail of, um, of, of, uh, of, of, of changing the view. Because um, something's numb. I feel also, you know, if you look at like um, a globe, you know, um, global warming and all of this, I mean, I feel like uh, also that, that whole jargon, the science, everything, it's not changing our views. It's the only way is when you get hit by the wave mm-hmm. or you get hit by the, the bomb or, or whatever. And I think, and I don't want that to be the, the reason we change. We need a preventative method, not a, not a um, terminative method. You know, like you only fix yourself when you're like in cardiac arrest. I think wouldn't it be nice if we were running or we were taking care of our bodies so that you don't get to that point and some kind of um, a wound where, that we're mending rather than like it's, it's the end of our life moment. I don't know if that's making any sense. No, it's a beautiful yeah. train of thought. doesn't have to make any sense. It's, mm-hmm. uh, the, there is this very overused saying, which is very true, is that human beings change uh, like on two different occasions or mm-hmm. there are two different ways in which you can change. It's either through inspiration or desperation. Mm-hmm. And usually it's desperation. Mm-hmm. Like it's exactly what you were saying, yeah. right? Like and that's, just, what we're, that's yeah. how we've been living. For... Because it takes so much energy. It's annoying. You don't want to change. You don't want to change your ways. It's just like, nah, 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 nah. But then when you have like that, one thing that's going to hit you in the face or you have an illness, disease, somebody close to you, something happens or you have a war, a famine, whatever, then you're like, okay, well now I have to change yeah. because there is no other way. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost, it's easier because you're always the martyr. You're always the victim, mm. you know, and um, that's an easier time to, for the, for whatever us to change. Um, and wouldn't it be nice if we don't, yeah, I mean, and we do that every day in small portions, you know, I think in our lives that um, we understand maybe. Um, and it's, and I think, I think as much as technology is uh, doing this to us, you know, like our, the, our bodies are changing from like hunching over our phones and, you know, or whatever it is, um, technology can also be the solution. You know, I think virtual reality is quite fascinating in another way. It, it does create empathetic situations. I can become you. Mm-hmm. You can become me. 
that's kind of amazing. Do, do you There's know... There's poetry. Yeah. Do you know the famous uh, Finnish uh, animation, Mumidrail? Oh, yeah. 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 I remember like one of the really, really old ones before they had color or anything. There was this one where one of them, um, I don't know if somebody told them to, or in some way they basically, they built um, a fireplace mm -hmm. and they started burning wood and they like put uh, like uh, a wheel next to it and they could, uh, they started making lots of firewood. I think that they started taking down trees and uh, trees and making lots of firewood. And, uh, and trying to sell it to everybody. And uh, at first it was like beautiful. They were making lots of money and they were so happy like, oh, I made this private enterprise. I'm just, mm -hmm. everything is gonna be fine. And then somebody came up to them and said like, all the flowers are covered in uh, this soot or this, yeah. this dust and there's a problem. So they thought like, okay, I'm gonna fix the problem. I'm, go I'm gonna make the, the chimney a lot higher. Yeah. And th then what happened was that just like a bigger area, it took longer time, but even bigger area was covered in that dust uh, and soot. Mm. And I just like I read it when I was a small child, and I just remembered this story, like yeah. uh, like, like the... today or a few days ago. And I was this is like a very small microcosm again yeah. of what we are doing with all the technology. It's yeah. like there is a problem, and yeah. we're like, okay, we don't want that problem, but we're also not willing to give up the technology. So we're just going to make a new technology. Mm -hmm. But what it don't only does is that it just makes the problem pop up like later and in a bigger way. And we're just like going through those cycles again exactly. and again and again. And then over time, uh, if you add like the element of time uh, to that, maybe a hundred years later, no one knew there was even a machine that started it. Yeah, exactly. And it probably started with something very, very small, just yeah. a tiny, tiny thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, what uh, inspires you, like from in day-to-day -day life? Do you do you go to museums? Do you watch films? Do you enjoy sports? Like, is there something that what's mm. the fountain of uh, inspiration for you? Mm. Well, I love stories, um, and so I'm a very curious person. So I know that. Um, that uh, I think one of my favorite thing is is to listen to a very good storyteller. Um, so I know that uh, for me, travel has always been, and and I don't mind traveling on my own also. But I, you know, I, of course, I love being with my husband or with family. But there is, or with Nina, of course. Um, but I think I, I always I can like um, the curiosity of strangers a lot, and. Um, that's a huge inspiration. So storytelling, also in books. I love film. Uh, absolutely huge inspiration. Visually, also again, stories. Um, and uh, art museums, like today I was at the museum and uh, shocked and enjoyed it and didn't enjoy it. And I think that's good to not love everything and to dislike things or love things. Um, and also I think, uh, Creatively, I get my biggest inspiration when I'm not actually thinking about art or doing anything. So um, I've just gotten into ocean kayaking mm. and it's, yeah, it's normally in mundane activities. I get some of my best ideas in the shower. It's just these like water, I don't know, mm -hmm. rhythmic, mo you know, those, that's where the ideas come. There is a book a thick book. I don't remember the name of the author, but it's called Blue Mind. Mm 
mm-hmm. and it connects okay. all different cultures from around the world uh, and says that basically every culture has a deep affinity towards water mm-hmm. and uh, water has like this um, deep spiritual uh, I don't know what the right word even is but basically that uh, that every culture has rituals that are connected to water and if you're in water whether you're covering yourself in water, you're swimming or you're doing something else with water, you enter the mind state that is called the blue mind. Uh-huh. And this is, uh, this is connected to the same thing. That's why you have all of those good, good ideas. Uh-huh. And it's uh, just water has such a deep meaning to a human being, like biologically, that it can be no other way. Interesting. Yeah. And also that we're, what, what percentage of our body is water? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can also love and I don't know how this will equate to water, but I can love wide open space, giant deserts. But often the places, there's places in the United States that are like that, but they're normally former seas. These sort of past, mm-hmm. yeah. Normally they were seas before. Do you feel like there is something, something we could learn from, uh, from the people that you interviewed and photographed for this exhibition, like something that the Western world like uh, has lost touch with or uh, isn't connected to anymore, or maybe again, something because our lives have gotten so easy that it's just something we don't pay attention to anymore. There's some, there's one of the, one of the women in the project, uh, Isra, uh, and she is, she's um, Swedish born. Some of the people in the project are not refugees. They're they're um, born in Sweden, but maybe have been touched by the forced migration in another way, or their parents have gone through it. And Isra, in this case, she's Syrian um, heritage, but she's, you know, she's Swedish. I'm Swedish too, apparently, because I have, but I'm American as well. Um, but uh, she, um, she's uh, one of the like heroes in the project, and she actually got the Hero Award in 2018. Um, because she had uh, basically, um, there's a whole story behind it, but she had created her own NGO when she was like in her early, early 20s, a completely self-made woman of action and decided to do something and didn't want to stand still and didn't wait for the government or another organization to tell her what to do. She did it herself, was created action and help. Um, but she also had this very interesting analysis of what it means to help and a little bit back to maybe a guilt that people might be feeling right now. How of because I think in times of struggle you can feel very helpless, and you don't you don't know what to do. Oh, you can go and give money and call that number, or but I think it can feel very empty because um, you, there's no personal attachment to it. But maybe if you could help your neighbor, it might help. I don't know. This sort of this detachment of help, and um, and everybody, and we all don't have the same formula that makes us act or makes us help. And um, and she had this wonderful thought of because um, a lot of people wanted to go with her and like because they wanted to kind of feel the, the the heroism of Isra and wanted to help her. And she's like, "Don't you come with me? Because I'm gonna." Number one, it's really dangerous, and I'm going to feel responsible for you. And if you want to come, you have to come yourself, you know. And I'm not being responsible for your life. I, I, I can die, but I can't be responsible for you. And uh, so, anyway, so she talked basically about this idea that I'm not a hero because I'm helping. You may want to give me this label, 
um, but you're going to help in your way and I'm going to help in my way and that it's all natural, this concept of helping and it's a part of our lives. And it's also something that so many people forget that it's one of the best feelings in the world that you can have mm. is actually uh, serving other people. Mm. Like our body lights up basically. It's the same thing that we talked about before. Like mm. that's why in wartime or, or different uh, natural disasters, hum human beings feel so good and remember those as good times. Because if you can actually help somebody, mm. it makes you feel mm. amazing. Yeah. Um, what gives most meaning to you? Uh, day, uh, from day to day? Um, I, I think I like, I like, a, I like a sense of clear-headedness, of understanding, a sense of, a sense of purpose. Yeah. That, is, that is basically just saying this, my question as an answer. But that's fine. That's mm. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to ask it. Uh, ask it again. Sense of love. Also. Sense of love. Okay. Yeah. Sense of love and a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, over the past two years, um, what has surprised you the most? God, you get these questions. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> what am I thinking about? What has surprised me the most? Um, Well, I, I'm a little surprised. Well, actually, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that what's happening now in the Ukraine, um, because I mean, all the signs were there also. But at the same time, I, isn't it sad that we move in circles? I mean, I'm surprised by it, but then, but then it's like, ugh, it's yeah, su it's surprisingly, a, here we are again. Yeah, it's like surprised that your I hit my toe against the wall again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Just like I do every day. Just like day. I do every yeah. day. Why do I? Yeah. Why do I do this every day? Yeah. Because um, now we're on this subject. I think. I think that's really. Um, yeah, it's a little. It's disheartening and surprising. Yeah. Of, of, oh, yeah, how circular life is. Uh, in the future, let's say in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, what would you like to remember from this time period? And let's again say the past two years, because it has been a very poignant time. Mm. I mean, I think, um, I think maybe back to what, you're, what we were talking about now, about um, that, that I have to say... Um, there is a sense of, of feeling quite alive right now. Uh, I think uh, things are very visceral and, and, um, and that I'm, as much as it's uh, saddening, I'm, in, I'm very much feeling alive and, in, and enjoying the engagement of being a part of this in some way. I mean, I'm an artist. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not an Isra. <laughs> I'm uh, not a hero in any in any way, but I think it is has been interesting to realize the activism quality to the magic wand of imagination that art can give, and that myself and Nina are a small part of that. has is quite nice to to feel. I feel I it, I think I will be a nice memory if I live to be that old, and I live to remember it. Also, uh, I would. I will be very proud, I think, of my former self.
Beautiful. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left, so two last questions. One, is there anything that we didn't touch upon that you would like to say, maybe point people to, it's basically whatever you want to say or mention? Mm. Well, maybe, I mean, yeah, go see the show, um, please, uh, because this is, this is a project that ended in 2020, but, uh, but the theme is ubiqu ubiquitous. You may care or not care about these women or their stories, but I think um, it's not just about them and you don't, I think we're not trying to force a migrant crisis on anyone, but at the same time, I think there is a very, um, I, I think there is something to be learned from what is said and what is shown. Um, also the artwork, it's very metaphorical. It can also, um, I've, it, it will end up meaning something to you that maybe it didn't mean to me. And I like that. I think that's the nature of music is like that. Um, songs can have completely different meanings than the intention of the author. And that's amazing with what a love song can mean or a non-love song. It can become your own anthem. So I think let this project be, I th it would be nice, I would be, I would feel very happy to hear that maybe it has moved someone in some way to think maybe or think a little differently and um, yeah. beautiful uh, the motto of uh, Fotografiska is inspiring a more conscious world yeah uh, how do you inspire a mon more conscious world last question uh, yeah I think again um, I, I, I think through uh, addressing problems head-on not ignoring them but also maybe trying to choose a different rhetoric a different form of communication <laughs> with the Tower of Babel, unraveling the Tower of Babel. Um, and maybe we don't want to go to heaven. You know, it's all about trying to reach God and here, you know, if it's about always being demeaned whenever we try, maybe we need to reach beyond, you know, beyond that tower that we're not, yeah, I don't know. I think we're, we're, we're always thinking the solution lies upward or whatever, it, mm. you know, and I think maybe, um, we're bigger than that. Yeah. Beautiful. Sarah Cooper, thank you very much for coming. Thank you so much. Really inspiring conversation. Thank you. Suureid tähtele kõigile kuulemast. See oli meie selle hooaja viimane saade ja loodetavasti kohtume järgmisel ajal. Ja taega.